would invite you to take uh, either your Bible or the Bibles in the chairs around you and turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 16 in particular is what we'll be looking at today. If you're not sure where that is in the Bible, if you just kind of open it up in the middle, you'll be pretty close uh, to the Psalms. There are 150 of them and we're going to be looking at number 16 today, Psalm 16. I encourage you to listen as I read to you again from God's Word, Psalm 16. A miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that the Holy Spirit was at work in the time of David's life to enable him and to cause him to write these words down. And we pray, Father, for that same Holy Spirit to be present here in our midst, right here, right now, opening our eyes and helping us to see what you want us to see from your word. Help us to see wonderful things from this portion of your word. And I pray, Father, that you would fill us with all hope and peace and joy as we again remember the hope that we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, if you've been with us over the last few months, you know that we have been studying the book of Second Samuel in the Old Testament. It's a story that tells us about David's life from just uh, before the time that he became king of Israel until almost the end of his life. Uh, for Good Friday and for Easter, uh, we've been taking a break from our study of 2 Samuel, and we've been looking at two psalms that David wrote during the time of when 2 Samuel was written. On Friday, Good Friday, we looked at Psalm 22, and we saw that through the guiding of the Holy Spirit, David wrote a psalm about Jesus. And, and in that psalm, we saw that it was a psalm of great pain, both physical and spiritual, as it foreshadowed what Jesus would endure on the cross. We also saw that it was a psalm of great hope for God's people. Today, we're looking at Psalm 16, another, another psalm that David wrote. And you no doubt noticed several times in this psalm, David was, was talking about and praying for things like stability and security and refuge and preservation and that he would not be shaken. You can see some of those things just quickly at the beginning of verse 1. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Again at the end of verse 9. My flesh also dwells secure. And then again at the end of verse 8. Because the Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. 
That word shaken is actually a very interesting word. When he says, I shall not be shaken, to be shaken means to be disordered, to be overthrown, to have a lack of steadfastness, to be insecure and to be unstable in life. And as we've been seeing in 2 Samuel, David's life was full of instability. It was full of insecurity. His life and the life of Israel was in a constant state of shaking. And we too can understand and appreciate David's prayer in Psalm 16 for stability and security and refuge and that his life would not be shaken. If this past year has taught us anything, it is the value of stability and security and to have a life that is not shaking. We've all had so much that has been stripped away. And we've been forced to reflect on what is the most important in life and what is the most core to us. And so we too can highly value that the shakeup of this past year would come to an end and we would once again understand and know what stability and security looks like. But even if we hadn't had a pandemic to deal with, still the deep longing that we have to have a life that is not shaken, to have a life that is full of stability and security, that is a desire that is central to what it means to be a human. It doesn't take a pandemic for us to see that Psalm 16 should be our prayer as well. So what we're going to do today is look at two things that David shows us in this prayer, in this psalm. He shows us several causes or several things that lead to a life that is shaken, a life that is unstable. And then he also shows us how we could have a life that is not shaken. So first of all, what are some of the causes that he mentions? The first is probably the easiest to see. One of the causes for living a life that is shaken is running after other gods. He says that very quickly in verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply, he says. That word run after, it literally means to acquire a bride. Isn't that an interesting picture? He's saying that there are those who run after false gods, run after idols with the same kind of devotion and the same kind of attention and motivation that one would pursue a spouse. In David's day, people pursued gods of weather and gods of war and gods of sexuality and fertility, gods of power and wealth. And they would serve those gods and they would worship those gods. Literally, they even had temples dedicated to some of those gods scattered around the area that David lived in. People believed that if they served those gods, if they worshipped those gods rightly, they would have stability in life. They would have security. They would have a life that's not shaken. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God's people constantly dealing with the temptation to give in and to worship and to serve some of those false gods as well. Now, today, we don't have the same degree of that kind of thing going on. We're not tempted, perhaps, as much as they were, to, to literally worship pagan gods. And yet, we have our own kinds of false gods, our own false idols that we love, that we serve, and that we worship. They're things like wealth and beauty, power, sexuality, comfort, control, and autonomy. And David points out in verse 4... That running after our idols won't lead us to have stability and security in a life that is not shaken. In fact, it actually multiplies our sorrows, he says. 
The things that we chase after to bring us peace and joy and stability are the very things that would lead us to a life that is shaken, not stable. So here's a good exercise, perhaps. If you're finding your life as a life that is unstable and insecure and it's shaking, it's an opportunity for you to do some soul searching, to open up and to be transparent with yourself and ask, are there any idols that I'm holding on to that I love more than the Lord Jesus? Is there anything that I am holding on to with a greater commitment? Is there anything in my life that I look at and I think this is more beautiful to me than my Savior? Because those things will lead you to insecurity and and instability in a shaken life. David mentions a couple other things that lead to that instability as well. These perhaps are a little more difficult to see. It's because David gives us a positive example. And so we have to think of what the opposite of those are. Look at verses 2 and then verses 5 through 7. David's speaking about having a contentment in the Lord. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. And the night also my heart instructs me. David is giving us a, a positive example of what contentment in the Lord looks like. It led David to have a life that was not shaken. And so what that means for us is that being discontent is one of the causes that leads to a shaken life. Again, notice what David says here in these verses. Verse 5, the Lord is his chosen portion. It is his cup. It is that which fills him up, that which satisfies him. He has a God-centered life, a life that is oriented around the Lord. Verse 6, the Lord is his inheritance. It's It's a beautiful inheritance. And that's enough for him. It's sufficient. Verse 7. He seeks counsel from the Lord. And he learns how to live a life from the Lord. He rests in what the Lord teaches him. And then again in verse 2. He recognizes that he has the Lord. And that nothing good. Nothing good comes apart from the Lord. Even the things in our life that we would think of as being good ultimately won't be good and satisfying to us apart from the Lord. The summary of what David is saying here is that without the Lord, without a relationship with the Lord, without resting in the promises of the Lord, it will be a life of discontentment. And discontentment leads to a life that is characterized by instability and shaking. It's one of the causes of those things. There's a third thing that David mentions here that is a cause for the shaking life. And that is having a fear about the certainty of death. Again, look at verses 9 through 11. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. David's speaking here about not having a fear about the certainty of death. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the place or the realm of the dead. Notice David is not saying here that death doesn't exist. He's not saying that death isn't certain. Of course it is. And if you've been watching and reading through 2 Samuel, you know that David faced death everywhere he went in his life. 
But for David, what he's telling us in these verses is that there wasn't a fear of that reality. The fear of the certainty of death. In fact, he goes so far to say that his heart is glad and his whole being rejoices and his flesh is secure because he knows that death is not the final say. David understood that it was certain, that it was real, but it was not something to fear for those who were in a relationship with the Lord. For God's people, there is to be hope and trust that the Lord will not let them see, as it says here, corruption or literally the pit. However, the fear of the certainty of death is one of the causes that leads us to a life that is shaken. Think of all the ways that our culture does everything it can to avoid and to put off death. I would suggest to you that the fear of death has driven at least some of the craziness of this past year. It's not wrong, and in fact, it is right for us to do everything we can to preserve and to dignify life. But the fear of the certainty of death can often lead us to insecurity and instability in a life that is shaken. For an unbelieving culture, death brings an end to our plans, an end to our relationships, an end to our pleasures and our purposes. And we will do everything we can to deny it, and to put it off. I heard a story this past week about the 1960 presidential election. It was where JFK ran against Nixon. And you probably remember JFK chose for his running partner, uh, Lyndon Johnson, to be the vice president of the United States. And when he did that, many people were in an uproar. There was quite an uproar, even within JFK's own camp, because there were many people who were not fans of Johnson. And they were afraid that if something ever happened to Kennedy that Johnson would become president, and many felt like that would be a bad thing. And so, in order to appease people within his own camp, Kennedy said this at one point, I am 43 years old, I am not going to die in office, and so the vice presidency doesn't really mean anything. Now, those of you who are students of history know that three years later, Kennedy was assassinated, and Johnson became president. It is so easy to try to deny reality, to even deceive ourselves about our own mortality. And we often do it out of a fear of the certainty of death. And a fear of the certainty of death causes instability and a lack of peace and a shaken life. So here are several things that David mentions in his psalm that lead us to a life that is shaken. But he also gives us the antidotes. There are several things here in this psalm that David prays about or speaks about in his psalm that shows us how to have a life that is not shaken. The first is perhaps the easiest to see. It's in verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Setting the Lord before David's eyes caused his life to be a life that would not shake. What does that mean? What does it mean to set the Lord before us? It means to be in a relationship with the Lord God Almighty. It means to have a focus on Him and what is pleasing to Him. It means to have a life that is ordered around Him. As verses 1 and 2 show us, it is about a, a connection and a relationship with God. 
David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I find my hope, I find my refuge in you. And he goes on, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This is the language of a relationship. This is a language of commitment. This is the language of focus. David isn't just seeking to serve or to worship some unknown deity in some cold, ritualistic way. David professes that he has the Lord, that he and the Lord are in a relationship with one another. And you can see it at the end of verse 11 as well. He says that in the Lord's presence, there is the fullness of joy at your right hand are the pleasures forevermore of being connected to the Lord. So here's the first antidote to a life that is shaken. It is to set the Lord before yourself. It is to be in a relationship with the Lord. It is to know Him. It is to have a life that is committed and focused on knowing Him. Of finding your purpose and your meaning in life through your relationship with Him. Of having the Lord be the most important thing in your life. Such that you could lose anything and everything in this world. And you would still have Him. And that would be enough. To the degree that that is true of us, it brings stability and security to our life. It keeps our life from being shaken. It is interesting how you can read similar things that are said in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, even though separated by so much time and separated by even different authors. But it makes sense because it's the same Holy Spirit that was causing these words to be written. And when we come to the New Testament and we come to one of John's letters, 1 John, listen to what he says and listen to how similar it is to what we're talking about, what David's showing us here in Psalm 16. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Did you hear what he said? John is talking about being in a relationship with the Lord and when He returns, we will see Him as He is. And that reality, that truth about what will happen in the future is supposed to change how we live today. It's supposed to make a difference on how we live today. Things that cause us instability and cause our life to shake have to have much less and less a hold on our hearts as we see our Savior, as we think of our Savior as He is and, and, and look forward to that day when we will actually see Him as He is. And to the degree that we would do that, the Lord will become more and more important to us and will drive our life. He will become more beautiful to us than anything else in this world. Our denomination, the PCA, has a college called Covenant College. It's on Lookout Mountain on the Tennessee-Georgia border. And one of the founding professors of Covenant College was a man named Chuck Anderson. And uh, Chuck Anderson taught Bible for many years at Covenant College, but he also coached cross-country. He coached running, although he himself never was a runner. 
You know, back in those days, you had to wear multiple hats and somebody needed to be the the cross country coach. And so even though he was the Bible teacher, had no experience running, he decided he would be the coach. And Coach Anderson tells the story of one of the worst runners that he ever had on the cross country teams at Covenant College. It was a young man named Paul Ward. He was the worst runner on the team, at least during practice. He was always the last in running in the running drills. He always was at the end of the pack. But something changed when it became race day. When it was time for the competition, Paul Ward always came in first. And after a while, Coach Anderson pulled him aside and said, What in the world is wrong with you? Are you lazy? You're always last in practice. You're huffing and puffing and you barely make it to the finish line. But when it comes to race day, you always finish first. What's going on? And Paul Ward answered, it's easy, coach. My fiance Lois always comes to our meets and she waits for me at the finish line. And you may have noticed, coach, she's awfully beautiful. If a beautiful future spouse can make Paul Ward press on to his goal, brothers and sisters in Christ, how much more so our infinitely beautiful spouse, Jesus. Have you set the Lord before you? Is Jesus the most beautiful thing to you? More beautiful than any of your false idols, more beautiful than your discontentment. More beautiful even than our fear of the certainty of death. David mentions another thing here that is helpful for dealing with a shaking life. It's in verse 3. As for the saints in the land, David says, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. As for the saints in the land, he said, the word saints there means holy ones. It's actually the word that's used often in the, New, in the Old Testament to describe angelic beings, heavenly beings. That's the reason why he says saints in the land, so that they would make sure that he made sure that they understood he was talking about God's people, not just angelic heavenly beings, but the holy ones that are God's people. That's how God's people are described in both the Old Testament and the New Testament as holy ones, as those who have been set apart as saints, not because of being perfect in themselves or holy in themselves, but because they've been declared holy through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what David says about them. He delights in the saints of God's the the saints, the God's people. David experienced a life that would not be shaken. And it was first and foremost because he put the Lord before him. He set the Lord before him. But it's also because he delighted in the saints. David saw God's people not just as they were in the moment, but as they would be in glory. Many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis's famous work, The Weight of Glory, where he talks about this. Listen to what he says. It may be possible... For each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. But it is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy 
that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it today, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else, a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All the day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. And if he is your Christian neighbor... He is holy in almost the same way, for in, in, in him also Christ, the glorifier and the glorified, glory himself is truly hidden. This has certainly been put to the test this past year, has it not? We've talked a lot here in our church family about the need for us to love one another, for our love to for our love for one another to transcend the differences that we may have about things like pandemics and masks and safety protocols and vaccinations. And I've been encouraged by the ways that I've seen our church family responding in love toward one another. But I also want to say this. That's only the beginning. It is only the beginning that we would bear with one another. That we would be charitable toward one another. That we would love one another. We also need to delight in one another. To see one another as we will be in glory. That's one of the ways that the Lord helps us to have a life that is unshaken. As we delight in our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as things begin to open up more and more, as more opportunities for fellowship and community become available, I want to encourage you to do all that you can to delight in your brothers and sisters in Christ, your fellow saints, or as David says in verse 3, the excellent ones. One last thing that David shows us here. One last thing that can help us in dealing with the shakenness of this life. And that is we need to believe in the resurrection, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of all those who are connected to him by faith. Look again at verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad, David says, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let, my, let your Holy One see corruption. Your, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At the time that David wrote these words, there were very few details that God had given to his people about the afterlife. There weren't a lot of details yet about what heaven would be like. And yet, David knew something 
That there was something more than just this life. That death would not be the final say. And we know now in 2021, as we look back to what David was saying, as we have the rest of God's revelation, we know that David wasn't just writing about himself when he wrote these verses. Now, how do we know that? Well, it's because in the New Testament, Peter preached a sermon where he specifically referenced Psalm 16 and then told us what David was writing about. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, says this. This is Peter preaching the sermon at Pentecost. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning Jesus, and then he quotes verses 9 through 11 of Psalm 16. And then he goes on and says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of, of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. We don't have to wonder who David was speaking about in verse 10 back in Psalm 16. David, by the guiding of the Holy Spirit, was writing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus was crucified on the cross. He died. He was buried in a tomb. But three days later, he rose from the grave. And because Jesus was resurrected, his life of perfect love and obedience to the Father, his sacrificial death on the cross were validated. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus means that our life can never ultimately be shaken. The gospel is true. It is true that our sins have been paid for in full. It is true that we've been accounted righteous in God's sight. And because Jesus rose from the grave, we believe not only in his resurrection, but the resurrection of those who are united to him in faith. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that because Jesus rose from the grave, because Jesus was resurrected, we have the certainty that one day we will be resurrected as well. Death will not be the final say. For those who are in Christ, death simply becomes a step to the fullness of joy and the pleasures forever, as David says. You see how that's such a powerful antidote to an unstable and shaking life. There is nothing that you are called to endure or to go through in this life that can change what comes next if you are in Christ. There's no amount of pain or suffering or shame or regret or missed opportunities or unfulfilled desires that can separate you from the love of God. By believing in the resurrection of Jesus and knowing that it secures your own resurrection one day, then you also with David are powerfully equipped to say, as he says, because the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
Thomas Brooks is, was a 17th century English Puritan. He wrote a number of helpful books. And someone sent me this quote uh, this past week from one of the books that he wrote called The Mute Christian Under the Smarting Rod. Listen to what Brooks says. Consider that the trials and troubles, the calamities and miseries, the crosses and losses that you meet with in this world are all the hell that you shall ever have. Here you have your hell. Hereafter you shall have your heaven. This is the worst of your condition. The best is to come. You have all your pangs and pains and throes here that you shall ever have. Your ease and rest and pleasure is to come. Here you have all your bitter. Your sweet is to come. Here you have your sorrows. Your joys are to come. Here you have all your winter nights. Your summer days are to come. Here you have your passion week. Your ascension day is to come. Here you have your evil things. Your good things are to come. Death will put a period to all of your sins and to all of your sufferings. And it will be an inlet to those joys, delights that shall never have an end. Stephanie and I have been blessed to have wonderful Christian neighbors living next door to us. Jim and Marcia. Marcia died on Thursday. She's been dealing for a long time with dementia and a slow breaking down of her body and mind. And she really started declining over the last weeks. Stephanie and I went over on Monday evening to visit with them and to pray with them, to pray with her. It was obvious that she was getting close to death. But we got word on Thursday afternoon. Marcia moved from her sorrow, from her suffering. From her winter nights. She's now in the presence of her Savior. And experiencing the fullness of joy and pleasures forever. Death brought an end to her sin and her suffering and her sorrow. And it brought her to the ultimate source of peace and joy. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if you believe in the Lord Jesus... If you believe in his sacrificial death on the cross, if you believe in his resurrection from the grave, then you too can experience what Marcia is experiencing at this very moment. Experience being in the presence of your Savior. And you too now can be empowered to say with David, because the Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that there are so many things in life, both external to ourselves and even from within, that cause us to be shaken in this life. So we pray. Help us, Father. Help us in our seasons of unbelief. Help us to believe the truth. Help us, Father, to see the need to have you set before us that you would be the very most beautiful thing to us. And that as you do that, Father, the things of this world, would we would lose our grip slowly and slowly of the things of this world. Help us, Father, as we delight in our brothers and sisters in Christ, use that as a means of giving us stability and security in a life that is not shaken. 
and help us to believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and because of its truth, our own resurrection as well. And in response, Father, fill us with hope. We pray you would do this because we need you to do this. But also, Father, for your glory above all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.